Welcome to the Decode Work podcast with your host Nadeem Khan. Decode Work takes you through the transformation that is currently happening in the world of work around technology, leadership and culture. Research suggests that most HR leaders are stuck in the day-to-day operational activities and unable to leverage their time, energy and resources towards the strategic side of their business. This hampers both their productivity and growth. Hence, the aim of this podcast is to unlock your potential and take you on a transformative journey towards becoming a true strategic partner to your business. In my podcast, I invite and discuss insights with global thought leaders on the future of work, HR transformation and organizational strategy. This is the Decode Work Podcast. Welcome to the third episode of Decode Work. Our guest today is Karen Isabel Koop, the Executive Director of the Global Research Group at Harvard Business School. Our conversation today is mental health, a topic that has recently piqued attention across the globe as we've been spending more and more time on work than we had ever expected. In this episode, Karen discusses the importance that mental health plays today more than ever before. So let's dive in and find out how to manage mental health at work. Hi, Karen. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon. Good morning, good morning. The the timings are different. Thank you uh, for for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you on board today uh, at our program. Um, first of all, how are you feeling? How's how's everything uh, up there? Things are doing okay. I think, like most everyone, we're getting tired and wondering what the new world might uh, might be. But I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking, and thank you for this chance to meet your your listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, uh, Karen, the first question I just like to I just like to hit you with with different questions. I know quite a lot about you and case study research. My first question is: Please tell us about your work at Harvard Business, Business School. Um, and I'm really passionate to for for uh, for listeners to know more about your story, some some th- something about your background and how you're passionate about you know mental health and how did you end up uh, in Harvard Business School doing case study, which is which is a very unique thing, uh, and and for people to understand what this is all about. Yes, so um, I think I have the best wor- job in the world. I basically get uh, you know paid to learn. We travel the world. Well, we used to travel the world, but interact with managers. And because we're not com- we don't come as consultants, we really come as people who are seeking to understand how they're making decisions. Um, people interact with us in a very honest and different uh, different way. I uh, came to Right Case because I came to HBS and then liked it so much that I stayed there. Actually, my office is basically 15 meters from my dorm room. So I can wow. claim in my class that I'm the one who's done the least, uh, least progress. And so over the years, wrote a lot of case studies, um, and then the confluence between my uh, personal story and uh, and mental health came uh, the following way, which was um, so like most of us, I was touched by mental health uh, ill- and illness in my family as a child and as a young adult. And there, I have to say, I was more of a spectator, uh, wondering if anybody would intervene or do something. I actually, lost two uncles uh, to suicide. 
And then, um, you know, a few years ago, a high school friend of mine um, actually killed himself after a layoff from a very toxic workplace. And the disconnect between what I knew from my childhood, what I had observed my friend going through and the tragedy end and the repercussions that it had with, you know, going to visit companies that spent a lot of time trying to save, you know, one or two percent on cost. When you do the research, about a third of us are impacted at work. Mm-hmm. And there's a tremendous opportunity to help people in order that they, to be more productive, more engaged in everything that we know companies uh, really, really care about. So I became more interested in that space um, and how you can help, uh, you know, use the workplace as an instrument for, for good in this space. Wow, amazing, amazing. Just a brief intro of people who don't know what mental health is or what the issues might be the underlying issues can you can you briefly just talk about okay so what is mental health and how does it occur in a, in in a work setting yes so the world health organization of mental health is uh, this condition that enables us to be productive and engaged at work and also in our communities so somebody may be suffering from a mental illness which could be a mood disorder such as depression or anxiety it could be a more severe disorder such as uh, bipolar or uh, schizophrenia and if you're able to manage with the normal stresses of the li- your lives, then it's it, you're, you're deemed to be okay. If uh, there's a stress that comes and ma- renders you unable to deal with it, and that you then turn to substances or become so paralyzed that you're unable to, to function, then you might be suffering from a mental, uh, mel- mental illness. We know that the earlier they're addressed, the higher the chances of uh, recovery, and of course, the lesser the chance of uh, of pain for the person involved, but also everybody else that uh, that gets uh, gets affected. The ripples of uh, mental illness are very, very broad. So, in the workplace, if you think of places of stressors, we spend you know at least eight hours at work. The most important relationship in our uh, workplace is to the boss. So basically, for 60% of us, the boss is the source of, uh, of stress. So how this person behaves and the signals that they send is usually very material to the way that we're able to deal with the stressors at work, but also at, uh, at home. Then That's there's a- kind of inflection, inflection points that usually lead to, uh, to troubles. And these inflection points can be professional, such as uh, you're promoted or you have to move. Uh, any, any place where you have to change your identity And then there are personal inflection points, the ones we can imagine, uh, such as losing a loved one, a divorce, but even becoming a parent because everything is shifting, your priorities are shifting. And again, you have to think about what are your priorities and you have to deal with a new source of stress in addition to all the other ones we're trying to to manage. I think sometimes it happens is even though you don't, you're, you're not mentally ill or you don't have any sort of mental breakdown or, or haven't had that in the past, do you think normal human beings could also um, experience some sort of uh, mental health in the sense that, you know, some sort of depression or some sort of anxiety that could come around because of having a having a bad boss uh, or, or having a bad manager? As, as you've mentioned that, you know, there is a lot of a correlation between the type of manager that manages work. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that there could be that, you know, uh, a normal sane individual who goes on and works with uh, someone who who's, who's, who who like pushes stress on you? Do you think that that does happen uh, usually in the workplace? So I would like to to change the, the language from, you know, normal and, and sane. We're all 
in my opinion, normal. We are just presenting a different, uh, you know, different pathologies. And okay. mental illness, some of it has a genetic component, and it's which is usually exacerbated by a, a phenomenon or something that happens. Then there's also a wide range of resilience. So if stress could be a precipitating factor, there's some people who go through unbelievable stress. But, you know, make sense of the world, find purpose. Uh, that's the tragic optimism, uh, you know, research and, and book. And then there are others who don't, uh, who don't recover. And so the science every day, we're all learning more, you know. There, there is, so anything that you can do to build resilience in yourself and in, in people is, uh, is helpful. I mean, a third of us through our lifetime will experience, uh, you know, some mental, mental illness. So it is a fundamental part of being human. To me, it really is part of our normalcy. Okay. Um, my, my question on top of this is because you did mention around resilience and finding purpose, how do you think the organizations now, because everything, everyone's adapting to COVID-19 and itself is, is a very big impact for all organizations where the people, both you and I are working from home. There's a sort of stress when you've got kids, when you have a family, you're trying to make, you're actually, um, you know, one of the research that we did, we figured out that we're working more than 12 hours rather than eight. So we're actually burning out and managers have no way to actually pinpoint performance of, you know, whether the work is being done, whether people are just uh, sitting in front of screens or whether they're actually doing the work. Um, and obviously, you know, there, there is a sort of a, a, a burnout or, or as, as I usually tell some clients that, you know, over engagement over employee engagement where people say, you know, are our employees engaged? And they're engaged to a level where they can burn out. Uh, how do you think this will play in the new workplace or as the title that, you know, when I asked you for the title suggestion, you said, Nadim, there is no workplace, there's just work now. Mm -hmm. so that was a great insight for me, uh, for, for me. And, and I would like you to share that insight with our, with our listeners. What are the changes that we can expect now uh, with the technology in place, uh, and what are this is this is very closer to how, but still on the why. Yes. So when you think of an inflection point, right? So uh, the Scientific American basically described what we were doing is the largest psychological experiment ever conducted on humankind. So there was baseline; it was difficult already, and then you have an absolutely, absolutely worst case scenario on all dimensions, right? So it's a, it's a physical health crisis, it's a mental health crisis. We are on lockdown. We basically, when you're on lockdown, you're deprived of everything that you could have before that could help you deal with the stressors and reversals. So it is your colleagues. It is a sense of routine. It is a sense of physical connection, being able to go to the gym, uh, being able to visit your therapist, being able to go to Alcoholic Anonymous meetings. All of this was suddenly stripped away. So all the crutches that we had were gone. And then you're in a situation of extreme economic distress. So I'm in the U.S., uh, most of us know people who have been laid off. Many of us have been laid off ourselves. So that level of, uh, of stress. And then you have a political situation in which, you know, experts cannot be trusted. Uh, the data is not working the way that, you know, we expected. We've gone through having everything now and clarity. So our whole worldview about, you know, big data, I know, you know, I can order anything I want and have it on my doorstep is not there. So basically we've all gone through the stages of grief of a world that we've, uh, that we've lost. You use the term uh, burnout, which, you know, the first element of burnout is when you feel that you're so needed that you have to work overtime. And I think that for those of us who are lucky enough to keep our jobs, we have really gone into that because it was like, well, I have to be grateful for the job that I have. So I will work, uh, work overtime. I think in terms of 
what this means for management is that when we wrote the book, one of the arguments we tried to make was that, you know, managing for mental health should be a strategic imperative of the workplace, especially in the cognitive environment, where basically all you have is your brain. And so any form of cognitive impairment or challenge is uh, is problematic to, to the enterprise. At the time, we had, a, it was difficult to get the message across, except for a lot of, you know, some organizations that are more advanced, because most of us, as, and I speak as a middle manager, have excuses. The first one is really stigma, which is you and I having this conversation, it's, it's productive, it's extraordinary, but it's going now mainstream. But seven years ago, when we started the research, you know, there still is a lot of stigma around. Uh, yes. When somebody breaks their legs, everybody goes to visit, everybody sends cars. If somebody suddenly leaves, you know, everybody starts to, to talk. Nobody really knows how to how to address it. So stigma was one. The second one was, well, I really don't know enough to engage with an employee that I think might be struggling. And now there's been so much written about mental health and mental illness and challenges in the press that basically that excuse is gone. And the third was, as a manager, uh, what really helps is if you're willing to show vulnerability or share your personal story. And that's a very challenging thing to do. I think it's particularly challenging for women at work. And women also are a greater risk of, uh, of mental, um, mental stressors. And so if you admit vulnerability, you, know, you may be putting yourself in a position of being, uh, of being challenged. So basically the stigma is gone because now we're all in the same situation. We are educated. And I think that a lot of meetings are not starting with, you know, how are you feeling? Well, I'm really struggling. And I, as a manager, can say, you know, I'm really having a hard time, you know, and this is today's not a good day, guys. You just have to be to be patient. So my hope is that in the immense stress that has occurred, that we have this opportunity to engage with each other more directly and thereby help each other. Um, so I would say that I'm, I think in some ways, this is the best of time and the worst of time for mental health at work. Uh, the pain is immense, but it gives us a chance to, to rewrite the script. Amazing. So I think what, what I've, I'm, I'm taking notes as we go forward, uh, amazing insights. So what I, I have gathered so far, speaking to you and, and experts as yourself, is that this is the new normal. We have to start to uh, understand that, you know, this is the new normal. And, you know, we may not be able to go back to the nine to five, but now could we could we hear something from you of how you would want people to um, I would say create or have more resilience and find their passion? Is it something that you, you is it something that we can practice? Is it something uh, something in literature that you feel that these these are some of the what leaders are doing, what experts are talking about, some sort of activity or any uh, guidance that you can give us uh, or managers for, for that say um, for their subordinates for themselves, but to really, as you said, you know, don't push yourself too far. It always depends on whether it, it doesn't necessarily depend on if you work less, you're you're going to get fired. You know, that's that's a, a, a mental, um, I think, uh, lock that we're in, uh, especially to say, you know, I need to work this many hours or I need to get everything done today, and we don't leave anything for tomorrow, and we're, we're as I as, as I said, burnt out. But what what tactics or strategies would you have in mind to share with our audience? So in, in general, I should have said this at the at the outset, you know, I, when I moved from being a spectator to deciding that maybe I could contribute to this this space, I'm not a clinician, I'm not a, a psychologist, I really come from it from the point of view of, uh, of studying uh, studying management, that uh, I am happy to, you know, engage with anybody who might want help. So please, anybody in the audience, uh, you know, feel free to uh, reach out to me via, via LinkedIn. There are lots of resources, lots of uh, lots of ideas. A lot has been written on resilience and um, 
and um, and mental health at work uh, also. But the one thing that I would like to to encourage the audience to do is that everything really starts with ourselves. So. As I mentioned, my personal story, you know, I lost people, death by suicide. I have substance use disorder in the family. What I've really tried to do at the beginning of this work and as I started to manage is to look at myself first and try to examine what are my patterns of behavior when I approach a situation in which somebody may be exhibiting behaviors that could suggest that an accommodation is needed for them to succeed at work. And I realize that's a very long sentence. And from your face, I was, <laughs> you were wondering what the period was. But the sequence really matters because you're observing behaviors as a manager. You are not diagnosing. Neither is it your job to intervene. It is really your job to have a conversation that enables then your employee to be able to, to get help. Exactly. In order to have these conversations productively, we all have a style about how we behave. So, you know, there's a style that we describe in our book, and I can share this on the chat after, which is, um, you know, the mother hen. So one tendency is to say, oh, this poor person is aching. Let me protect this person. The problem is that you're spending so much energy protecting this person at the detriment of the rest of the team. Then there's another technique approach, which, you know, is more of a hyena, which is as soon as somebody exhibits weakness, if a manager is so driven on performance, then she might, uh, you know, be be unable to deal with this person in a compassionate way, probably because the pressure on her are already so, so great from externally. So I'd say starting with yourself is really, really fundamental and educating yourself. Then to educate yourself about how, you know, we call it dare to care, which is scan the horizon and really be attentive to how your people are doing. Um, you know, there's been a lot written recently about how this fundamentally changes management. So on the one hand, I believe this to be true, on the other hand, I think what it does is really remind us of what, man, what management is all about and very much a return to the essentials, which is how are my people, who are they interacting with, how do I support them, how do I make sure that they have the tools that they need, which are really very basic questions, but these are really difficult to do very, uh, very, very well. Um, so I think a reminder of, uh, of this is a good way, a good way to start. Um, the workplace is going to change in a fundamentally different way. I mean, in the U.S., there was a recent um, survey that basically said that 80% of people were reporting some signs of PTSD. So we are managing a very different population. We have been transformed by this. It's impossible yes. for it, us not to be transformed. So I think taking a little bit of time just to look inward and reflect uh, is uh, is important. Amazing. My my work with with leadership is 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 on point. I would say you know the first thing that we do is start with a reflective journal, which we do, and the second is I always encourage them to have conversations rather than communication. And again, the thing that was spot on is is around compassion rather than just measuring KPIs, measuring the data around performance. You need to see the from a human lens what the problem is rather than saying, you know, you need to work like a machine. The problem is that we've become more of machines rather than going back to human beings. So I think the 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 the, uh, the, the climax of all this should be, which which obviously both of us resonate with, is let the, let the tech do its work, the automation, but let human beings stay human beings and not become, you know, technology as such, because if if we if we enter that arena, which we have already, we we become more, um, uh, as as you've you've said, you know, prone to mental health because our mind doesn't work that way. We need we need to be connected to people, and that connection is just because of technology. Now we are beginning to understand the importance of being in a workplace to be connected to human beings, and that's that's 
because once you lose something, you then uh, you then understand its importance. When you have something, you don't understand the importance that that it is. So yeah. a loss of it has actually made us realize. Um, I think you know you've you've mentioned this before. Um, my last question before I uh, before I ask the audience uh, is there there was a recent type there was a recent article in uh, a Harvard Business Review titled "Are Are Management Theories Outdated?" Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how we organizational leaders, managers, and educationists will need to rethink our strategies and the way we uh, we work move forward. Uh, considering you know you've been in in the research space for such a long time, um, and and I've obviously you know you've you've I've, I've recently published a, a book around people analytics, but I, I feel the the theories, the case studies that we published very recently, might might just be obsolete because of what's just happened. What are your thoughts on this, and what organizations now need to do looking at the previous theories? Do you think they can use those tools, or do you think there there is something that that we are missing or organizations are missing and how, 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 you know, how they can proceed forward. So part of my reaction to that maybe goes back to my original. Um, so it goes back to, to two things. So, you know, there's a part of management that, that is about control or, you know, used to be about control. And I think if we want to recast the manager, maybe more as a coach than a controller might be one way that, you know, the management theory might have evolved. But to me, that was always the management theory, which is you're marshalling resources towards the pursuit of a common common goal. So the tools or the techniques that you use to get there might be different. Um, but I think that for decades, you know, we have been moving into this direction of greater employee engagement rather than employee control. I'm not sure that the the theories themselves have changed. I think the way that we will go about doing them has changed. So there's a big move towards more open talent and, you know, the gig economy. We have a lot of people who are unemployed in the U.S. When they come back to work, we will have to onboard them in a different way, in part because of everything that they have gone through. But when you think of this also as an opportunity, you know, we have everybody who will be onboarded, you can start in a different way. So going back to the beginning of our conversation, which is how do we learn a little bit more about how people really are at work. That goes to the recruiting question. You know, how much will you reveal about how you are, how your company is? Once people get onboarded at uh, Facebook, they have something that's called a user guide, Y-O-U-S-E-R, where people will say, this is how I'm, I like to be treated at, at work. So more, I think the whole person will come to work and we will enable the whole person to come to work. With, you know, what frustrates you? When do you lose your temper to have these conversations right at the at the onboarding? Then on the part about how you organize work, which is the other major part of, uh, of management, um, you know, we said that the humans matter more than the technology, but we also have the chance of using a lot of technology, some of this remote uh, technology. People will be able to not live in the cities. Uh, we might have be able to diversify our workforce because people will be able to work even though they live more and more remotely. Um, so I think a lot of things are going to change. The, the, you know, the office space is going to change for a while. It's going to be lonely. Um, but at some point, things will, will normalize. And, uh, and I think we'll come back with a, with a greater mix of possibilities and more humanity in the workplace. Amazing. Great, great, great insight. So what you're saying is those uh, theories or those uh, the tools that we use are going to remain the same. It's the way that we use them or the way that we adapt to them would change. That's a great insight. 
And uh, what, 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 how would you say that, you know, we used to map culture where we had the workplace and we could really map it down. Uh, what do you think, how, how do you think that would evolve? Would technology have its role? How do you, how do you think that would, will evolve in, in the future coming forward? Uh, and, and how do you, uh, as, as you did mention, you know, the role of managers being more of coaches, do you think they would now spend more time working with, with individuals using more technology or would that, how, how, how would that shift uh, moving forward? So as you know, since, uh, you know, it's the topic of your book, there's been a real influx and um, a burst of innovation in the analytics space. And you're seeing a lot of uh, decision support systems, a lot of apps in the mental wellness space, uh, but also in the employee engagement space and in the tracking space. So I think these are tools that are new in a way that managers can uh, can use. There are also different versions of, in the U.S., we call them employee assistance programs. Uh, there's you know programs like Lira where you can support, you know, in- encourage your people to get mental health support through these uh, through these tools. Um, even all the meeting platforms, uh, we're going to be using more VR in order to feel connected. Um, so yes, I think these things will will evolve and transform. Do you think they have do you, uh, now coming back to square one circle uh, around mental health? Do you think this is positive, um, or how 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 that would play around for mental health, uh, considering technology, human, and mental health? How do you think there should be a combination? What are your suggestions? Final thoughts around managers using technology and being able to uh, not push people. There's there's a comment, you know, exactly KPIs don't work. It's only for HR SOP, um, but how would you um, advise managers moving forward using that technology? Because uh, a lot of managers are still uh, are still in that zone of your okay, case. So we're, are we tracking employees? And employees feel that they're tracked using that technology. Uh, is the technology for the good, for the bad? How how will it affect mental health at work and whether it should be used to track and how can it be used to to track and um, engage people for the for the bet for the for the better for the better for the better good yes. So I think that the communication communication is the essential you know job of a, of a manager and um, so I think if you can use technology in your own toolkit it shouldn't substitute for your own talent and communication but you can use it for support but also encourage. Uh, employees use it. So for example, there's been this massive move to telehealth, you know, for mental uh, health also. So companies, one thing that I would do as a manager is to go back to my company and to HR and say, what do we have in place for employees? Do employees know that they can use it? Do employees know that it is strictly confidential, that I will have nothing to do with it? If we do not have it, what should we do? Or here are other examples of companies that are doing other things. Should we be investing? So there should be an investment in the technology space, it should be an enhancement, of course, but not uh, not a substitute. Amazing, amazing. So I think your thoughts are are are, are, are aligned that technology is a tool. Uh, it just has to be used properly in order yeah. to uh, benefit human beings and in order to to benefit the work as such. Thank you so much, Karen. We're just um, I've opened up the uh, platform for questions. If anyone has. Any questions, any comments, please put them in, in the comments below. I haven't received any as yet, but there are people watching. So please feel free uh, to, um, I'd, I'd request, please, um, you know, type in your comments. Um, and we we understand, we, we, we want to keep these sessions uh, as, as short and crisp as possible because we have so many sessions now. Uh, 
yes. that you know a lot of people don't have uh, don't have the leverage of time. But they, these are obviously recorded, so one can go back and, and rewatch them. But I think we've we've we, uh, we we have great comments just to to let you know everyone saying you know um, Ali Raza said wonderful great session, and uh, Andrea has said she's from Europe. She said uh, great insights indeed. And Arti said, uh, uh, the topic is the need of the hour. Um, Ajioma has said, uh, thanks thanks for this. And uh, and as I mentioned, it's really the beginning of, uh, of a conversation. So yes. if anybody would uh, would like to reach out or send me ideas, all we can all do is help each other really at this juncture. Yes, yes. And, uh, I, mean, I think the, the, the idea is to open up the platform for, for people who don't know about mental health. This is a real issue that I, uh, I'm i saying we, we want to champion this, not just as HR professionals, but as a thought leader in the space and, and written the book. I felt your work because I was reading on, on some of your work around case study, which is, which is amazing because, it, uh, as you said, uh, you know, it's your passion that has led you here. Um, we haven't received any question as yet, but my final question uh, for you uh, and to take for the audience to take forward: How does one come closer to finding the passion? Um, I know that you did mention it comes from within, um, and and I have discovered this myself from reflecting, from understanding who I truly am and what what my purpose in life is. So, how did you, how 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 is there an activity or is there an exercise or something that? you uh, have done in the past to improve your resilience and passion around your purpose in life to, to, to find that purpose. And this is, this is, I know this is a, this is a question for posed for yourself as Karen and not an individual of uh, Harvard business school, but what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I, I don't want you to put any theory forward, but no. some sort of um, advice that the audience can take forward from here. So it's interesting. I've never really asked myself that question because I just have tended to do what um, what I wanted and have been immensely blessed to be able to to do so. And I count my blessings many times, uh, many times a day. I think that coming. So one of the things that has struck me about this COVID experiment is that we have moved to an entirely different country. And I post about this in LinkedIn. And I really feel like we're all expats and we all showed up in COVID world and in Zoom land. And we're like, who are these people? How are they behaving? How are they speaking? What is happening? What are the rules? How do I walk? What do I eat? How do I wash my hands, etc.? And then as I went through, I said, oh, this is interesting. And I think because I am of mixed origin and have traveled a lot, I have never really felt at home anywhere. And this has actually helped me here to be open-minded to say, okay, this is a new world. I may not understand the rules, but if I stay true enough to my values, then I will get there. And I think that now I'm here with you, even though I'm very shy, um, because I really would like to help others come to the realization that with change, there might be an opportunity to to learn and uh, and evolve. Um, so that might be Great. where my passion comes from. I think I, it's, I, I, it, I, I, would, I would second you. Uh, as an entrepreneur, I've learned to, uh, even though I'm, I'm, I'm from a data science background, uh, I've, I've, you know, talked about people analytics, but I say, you know, there's, there's an intuitive mind and if you channel your intuitive mind as Karen has, uh, as, as you've actually explained that you actually channel that intuitive mind of yours to know what your next step should be. So, so that would be one of, one of the things. And, you know, uh, as, as you might say, uh, that channels you forward. Jag from Malaysia has asked a question. Uh, may I know how to identify work performance if we are working from home and virtual? 
this uh, Jag is, 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 is from Malaysia and she's asked a question. So how do you identify work performance if we're working from home? Do you have any idea about that? Thank you very much for, the, for your question. So that's very, uh, very challenging. And I'll, I'll share um, a personal, uh, personal anecdote. So, you know, working in higher ed, it's under a lot of um, pressure. And uh, we were asked formally exactly this question. And so, you know, we write all day. And the response that I had to HR was, well, what did you know that we were doing at work all day? when you weren't watching us there either. And so I think we're also looking at the remote world in a very, maybe as too different as when we were on, on site. So I would say some of the rules are the same, which is, you know, the main rule of the manager is to carve out tasks that can be performed by the individual within the time that he or she has, with the skills that he or she has, and given the resources that he or she needs. And so if you were able to do that on site, I think you can do it at home. Are people distracted at home? Absolutely. Are people distracted by COVID? A hundred million times, it would be impossible. So I think if you're, if we're performing at 80%, it's probably okay. Um, I think if you see a big pattern, a change in the pattern of behavior, uh, then that might be worth, uh, worth addressing. Um, I have team check-ins very regularly. Um, and also sometimes just picking up the phone and talking to somebody directly uh, might uh, might help. Amazing. Thank you. And there also, Jag, I'd like to add, there are now technology platforms that you can measure performance through. So I'd recommend that you look into those as well. Um, Ajioma is basically has, has asked a question. Mm. How do you introduce the conversation about mental health in the workplace without the stigma associated with the topic? Yes. So that's the central uh, central issue. I think that um, now that it's been in the news, there is an opportunity here to have a conversation with your team. And if you're comfortable with starting with yourself to say, I've personally been struggling here. This is how it's impacted uh, me. Or you can go more of an analytical way, which is to say, you know, here are the stats. Clearly, it matters. Uh, one can also go more of a process way, which is uh, we as a firm have identified mental health as a particular challenge, especially in COVID times. These are the resources that are available. Um, you know, there's a, the whole brain uh, framework, which are four quadrants, basically, of how you make an argument. And if you'd like, I can I'll send it, some information to you uh, directly if uh, Nadim can, can connect us. But how you speak about this in the organization very much depends on how your organization processes information. Um, so you may go the, the personal route, you may go the, the data route, and you may go the, the process route. Um, but it's very hard. The best way to, to address it is just to acknowledge it. That's, that's true. That's true. Thank you so much. These are, these are two great questions. We, we, we had uh, Jagger saying thank you, Karen. Uh, thank you, too. Thank you so much um, for asking. Thank and you it, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'd like to continue, but um, we, we understand that, you know, your time is precious. Yes. Um, we hope that, you know, we can continue this conversation later on as well. And I hope that people will reach out to you and connect to you. Uh, it's, it's certainly been, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. And just to summarize, um, you can go back and look at this, uh, look, look at all of, all of the things that, you know, Karen has talked about of, of managing uh, for mental uh, health at the work, which, which now is omnipresent. <laughs> you can work anywhere and everywhere, but we hope for the best. And, uh, and, Basically, uh, my last thoughts are that uh, these sessions happen every every Thursday. We are inviting thought leaders. I would encourage you, if you're watching this, please share it uh, to a wider audience. Share these resources that we're sharing. The, the, it's, the purpose is 
enlightenment there is no other purpose we're not selling anything and that's 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 the reason to reach out to a wider audience um i'd like to once again thank you everyone who's joined thank you karen for your time um and we hope to meet uh, again soon um and and take further insights from karen in, in the future thank you so much have a have a lovely evening everyone thank you thank you bye everybody Thank you for listening in to the Decode Work podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed it and that it added value. Please leave a comment below with your thoughts on how we can improve your experience and to stay in the loop hit the subscribe button so that you can easily listen in to our upcoming speakers. Till then, have a great day. Thank you.